We carry on this morning in our new sermon series, uh, expositional journey through this letter, the very last letter of the Apostle Paul. We need to remember that Paul writes this from prison in Rome for bearing forth the truth of the gospel. And he's moving ever closer to his execution. And Paul is probably at this point in time in the very bottom of the infamous Marmotine prison, chained to a wall, suffering greatly, cold and hungry, great deprivation. His body is, is dying, his strength is ebbing away. Day by day, he moves closer to death. And you know, such persecution and harsh treatment, they certainly were designed to break the man, but they were also designed to strike fear in the hearts of Paul's followers, to cause great shame. And this is the setting for Paul writing this letter, this last letter. It's a very powerful and poignant moment within the, the, the life of Paul and his young protege, Timothy. And so he writes to Timothy specifically to instruct and encourage him in his pastoral ministry. To encourage Timothy that as he's following along in the footsteps of his mentor, his discipler, Paul, the apostle, Timothy's called to be an evangelist and a pastor at the church in Ephesus. Well, ultimately, he is called to follow along in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ and his suffering, to fill up the sufferings of Christ. And yet, he's been saved as Paul has been saved by the power of the gospel. And he's been saved to suffer and he's been saved to serve in Christ. And so this letter is on one hand very narrow in its application. It's very narrow in its dealing specifically with this man Timothy and those who would come after him called by the Lord throughout church history to pastor and to preach the gospel. But this letter is also very broadly written to all Christians to every little lamb of God who's saved and sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ, called to serve the church because we're all called and given gifts to be used in the church, to serve the church, to bear witness to the gospel before the unbelieving world. And it's true that every believer, deep down in their hearts, they desire to live a vibrant life of faith and obedience and service. But the world and the flesh and the devil lash out at the people of Christ. Satan rages against the followers of Christ. And we need to remember that the devil, the devil he, cannot, he cannot destroy the truth. So he seeks to destroy those who bear witness to the truth. And he especially seeks to destroy those who preach the gospel. And it's for this very reason that all believers suffer in some way in varying degrees. But the glory and the hope is the same power that saved us will enable us to suffer and to serve for the Lord. And we have the promise of Jesus that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So hear God's Word from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-14. to 14, The Word of the Lord. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Praise the Lord. His glorious Word. May He seal it to our hearts afresh this day. Well, it's important for us to see the context as Paul moves deeper into this letter. You see, he has just reminded Timothy about the reality of the great gift that the Lord gives to His people in verse 7. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Doug preached that last week. The the gift of the Holy Spirit is, is a gift not of cowardice and timidity and fear, but it's a gift of power and love and self-control. And so now Paul turns to enlarge upon the gospel, the, the glorious reality of the power of salvation, and it's also the divine eternal power that comes forth from the resurrection of Christ that enables the saved to suffer for the name of Christ and the testimony of Christ. But in doing that, we have the great promise that we are more than conquerors in Christ. And that brings us to our first of two main points this morning. The Gospel is the power of God that saves and enables His sheep to suffer for Christ in this fallen world. That's what Paul shows Timothy in verses 8, 9, and 10. Gospel power saves and empowers God's people to rise up even in the midst of suffering. And part of that suffering is the constant attack and temptation to be ashamed of Jesus. To be ashamed of the gospel. So Paul encourages Timothy. He says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel, but remember, remember the glory of the gospel. Timothy, remember the mystery of salvation. That's what he calls Timothy to here. He says, Timothy... You need this great gospel power. You need to dwell upon the reality of it. Because you are about to face great suffering in your ministry. So what does Paul do to encourage Timothy? Does he say, you know, I am in jail for preaching the gospel. So Timothy, I encourage you to to find some other method to make the gospel more relevant to the world around it. Find some way to win the world that doesn't include preaching the gospel. Protect yourself. No, he doesn't say that. The way he encourages Timothy is by preaching the gospel to Timothy. 
To not be ashamed by those who slander and deny the Lord. Remember, remember, Timothy, the mystery of salvation. Remember the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Remember the mystery of salvation. It's timeless. It comes from outside of time and space. The mystery of God's purpose and rescuing our souls and saving us and bringing us into union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the mystery of salvation. It's before creation. Our triune God covenanted within the persons of the Trinity to save a peculiar people in Christ Jesus and to be sanctified in Christ Jesus, to be called to Christ Jesus. So Timothy, remember the mystery of salvation as you face suffering for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the Father's definitive purpose and plan to send forth His beloved Son to save you. The love of God is eternal for you, Timothy. Remember the eternal mystery of God's saving love. Remember the fact that God has never been ashamed of you, Timothy, in Christ. Remember the mystery of the Gospel. Let's remember the eternal mystery of the gospel. So Paul presses Timothy even further. He says, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the gospel, but remember the source of salvation. You must remember the source of salvation. That's what he drives us to in verse 9. We must remember the source of salvation is Christ. It's not only something that has come outside of time and space, a promise forever and ever and ever, but it has penetrated time and space through the glory of the Incarnation. The second person of the Trinity, the, the glory of Christ, He appeared in history. He is a historical figure. He came forth. He took upon flesh and blood as our Savior, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. He's appeared in glory. He's the source of life, the one through whom all things came into being, stepped out of eternity and took on flesh to save His bride. Well, Jesus is the source of salvation and He's the source of our sanctification. He's the one who came from eternity past to rescue us. And He did it in time, in space, and He calls us to Himself, and He calls us to holiness in Him, which includes suffering for Him as we're sanctified by Him. Paul is very clear here, as the Bible is in total, that it is impossible for you to save yourself. God alone must save you. And it's also impossible for any of us to endure suffering for the Lord in our flesh, in our sinful nature. No, God must empower the saved person to endure suffering. And we are saved in Christ. We're united to Christ. And as we are, we will endure suffering because Jesus has come. He endured the suffering. He has conquered sin and death and hell. He's come forth. He's the source of salvation. He's the glory of redemption accomplished. That's what Paul's showing Timothy here. Remember, Timothy, remember the source. He's the one who was born perfect and pure without sin. 
without the tainting of original sin, without the tainting of actual sin. He's the one who came forth living the holy law in perfection that we all should live, but we don't because of our brokenness. So He came forth in time, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, and He was delivered over into the hands of sinful men to be crucified according to the purpose of God to bear the sins of His people in time and space that we might know forgiveness, that in His death, redemption was accomplished. As He said, it is finished. And then on the third day, He was raised from the dead for our justification. The glory of the gospel as Christ ascended on high and He petitioned the Father to pour forth the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit to apply the glory of His redemption to us. Remember the source. When you suffer, Timothy, remember Christ as your living and breathing Savior. Remember He really is the one who lived for you and died for you, was raised for you. He intercedes for you. Remember the gospel, Timothy, as you suffer. And don't be ashamed. So Paul presses further. He says, Timothy, remember the ground of salvation. Remember the ground of salvation. It's because of the mystery and the source and the ground of salvation that we're saved and that we will suffer for Christ. And by that same power which saved us, we will not fall away because we stand upon the rock, the ground of our salvation. You know, with the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, the promise of death became a reality. The wages of sin is death. And death stalks us. It's the shadow that loomed over Paul even as he wrote this letter. It's the shadow that loomed over Timothy as he read this letter. It's the shadow that looms over us as we read this letter. And so Paul calls us to remember the ground of salvation. Remember that place where you stand upon the rock of salvation, where you are safe, where you are saved. As the world is being shaken by judgment and will be shaken by the great judgment, remember the ground of your salvation. If you've ever been to Lima, Peru, then no doubt you've seen the signs that are strange. If you've never been there before, when you see them, there are all these big S's painted on the ground and in roads and on sidewalks with circles around them. And I had to ask, what in the world were these things, all these signs? And they're the, the earthquake safe zones. So that if you're caught in an earthquake in Lima, you run to the safe zone and you stand there. Because that's the place, that's the ground where the buildings can't get to you if they fall down. What an amazing, wonderful illustration. As sin brings the judgment of death and the day hastens for the second coming of the Lord and the great shaking of judgment, Timothy, remember the ground of your salvation, that place where you are saved from death and judgment. It is Christ the Lord. In this glorious ground of salvation, the mystery of it, the source of it. It's not nebulous, it's not irrational, it's not mystical, but it's concrete reality. The Christ, the gospel, the testimony and the witness to the earth, to the world, that this is true. It's the resurrection. 
The resurrection of Christ from the dead. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. But we have that hope because Christ has triumphed over death. That's the certainty that Paul preaches. Christ is the first fruits of those who are the objects of God's grace that will be raised. The glory of the resurrection, the ground of our salvation. So you see that even as Paul suffered and was breathing out his final breaths, he was held fast in the firm power of the Holy Spirit holding to the truth that Jesus had abolished death. It was certain for Paul. You see, in Christ's death, he put death to death for his own. The ground of your salvation. You know, we live in a culture that's obsessed with death. I hope you see that in the perversity of our broken culture. It's obsessed with death, but ironically, it's not our own death. We're reminded of death all the time, the death of others. We're reminded of that each and every day. We see it in the entertainment which saturates our culture, the death culture, the the death music, the death movies, the death TV shows, the death video games, death, death, death all around, but, but not our own death, the death of others. You know, we no longer live in a world where the bells toll for the dead that remind us of our own coming death. And we no longer live in a culture in which the elderly and the broken and the infirmed and the dying are right in our midst, even in our own homes. No, we remove the dying so that we're not reminded of the certainty of our own approaching death. But you see, Paul was saved and empowered to endure suffering for his witness to Christ who is the resurrection and the life. And he says, Timothy, remember the gospel. Remember the mystery, remember the source, remember the ground, it's Christ. So I ask us all this morning, what are you relying on right now today for your salvation? As you face death, are you relying on the fact that you're a good person in the eyes of the world? You're better than your neighbors. Maybe you're a member of a Bible-believing church. Maybe you have good kids. Maybe you've never been divorced. Maybe you're just a little bit better than the average guy or gal. But we have to see, brothers and sisters, that God doesn't grade on a curve and what fallen humanity calls so-called goodness is nowhere good enough to stand in the presence of holy God who sent forth His holy Christ to save unholy people like you and me. So take hold of Christ. Know the power and the mystery and the source and the only ground of salvation. And as objects of God's saving power, He empowers us to count it all joy when we suffer for the name Christ. Bearing that truth as Christians. You know, some believers are called to walk the very hard road of martyrdom. We need to pray for them as Sam prayed for the church. But most Christians will not die at the hands of unbelievers because of their testimony, Christ crucified for sinners. No. But you see, each and every day of our lives, we do walk ever closer to death, and we do bear witness with our words and with our actions what we really believe. And you see, 
Everyone who's an object of God's eternal, electing, saving love in Christ has a testimony. So are you sharing your testimony? Or are you ashamed of the one who has saved you in your testimony? Well, Paul presses on in his exhortation and his encouragement to Timothy, and he moves from emphasizing the call to suffer for Christ to the call to serve for Christ. And that brings us to our final main point this morning. The gospel is the power of God that saves and enables his sheep to serve for Christ in this fallen world. That's what Paul drives home in verses 11 to 14 to Timothy. He says, Timothy, follow me even as I follow Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to live out of this power. He says, follow me, Timothy. Follow the Lord. Follow the word of life. Follow the the resurrection and the life. And again, we see just how important the Holy Spirit is for the, the Christian life, the true life. All that Paul is saying here is bookended with this reality. From verse 7 to verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the power that enables the Christian life of testimony and suffering for the Lord and serving the Lord. And Paul roots all of this, this work and this power in God alone. Again, it is true. It's declared salvation is a work of God alone. We can't save ourselves. And neither can we serve out of ourselves. We must be called by the Lord and enabled to serve for the Lord. He calls us to Himself. He gives us life. And He empowers us to serve in this world for Him. So Paul reminds Timothy. He says, Timothy, be reminded of the call. Your call and my call to preach and to teach. He says, Timothy, be reminded of the call to communicate the gospel. That's what we see in verse 11. You know, Paul was called and appointed by God to be an apostle. He didn't call himself. He didn't appoint himself. Paul didn't take the the Myers-Briggs test to figure out what would be a good vocation for him. No, he was called by the Lord on that road to Damascus that day where he met the resurrected Christ who knocked him off the horse and blinded him physically but gave him eyes to see spiritually the truth of Christ and the gospel. And Paul was directly called by Christ and given the gospel directly by Christ to go forth to share it with the world. And in the glories of that ministry, he suffered even as he served. And as he did that, through that ministry, the Lord called Timothy to come and to suffer and to serve for the Lord. Now, we need to see this very clearly. Satan works as hard as he possibly can to prohibit the gospel from being proclaimed. Remember, Satan can't destroy the truth of the gospel, so he seeks to destroy the messengers of the gospel. And because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God preached, the preached word comes with a special promise, so Satan attacks godly preachers continuously. He wants people to doubt them. He wants people to deny them. He wants people to slander them and to diminish them. He wants to destroy Christ's messengers because he hates people and he hates the gospel. But we need to remember that he who calls 
is faithful. And that's what Paul declares. He points Timothy to the origins of his own calling. It's the Lord. It's genuine. It's legit. It's powerful. It comes forth from salvation. My calling is to be saved and to serve in the Lord. Now think about this. Paul had a special appointment and relationship to minister to the Gentile nations. The Gentiles. The Bible only sees two groups of people. The Jews and everybody else. And the vast majority of the population of this earth is Gentile. And Satan hates everybody. He hates Jews and he hates Gentiles and he hates the image of God stamped upon humanity and he hates the gospel that recreates that image in Christ. So Satan seeks to devour souls. So he hated Paul. He hated the apostle to the Gentiles. So Satan, he sought to destroy Paul by the same gospel message though that saved Paul. The Lord enabled Paul to stand up And to keep serving even in the midst of this hellish attack by Satan. To be the one that would communicate the message first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles that the world might know the saving power and joy of eternal life in Christ. So Paul says to Timothy, be reminded of my calling and your calling. Timothy, be reminded of the call to suffer for the gospel. Verse 12, Paul circles back around to this reality. He says, which is why I suffer as I do. Why does he suffer as he does? Because he's been given the gospel message to preach that Satan hates. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Past perfect, it's done. I have believed, I have seen, I know it's the Lord. And I'm convinced that He's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Yet again, Paul wants Timothy to see this reality. You've been saved to suffer and saved to serve. And in your serving, you will experience great suffering. Paul experienced great suffering and persecution from outside of the church. And no doubt we understand that. That makes sense. But Paul and Timothy both experienced great persecution and suffering inside the church. And yet Paul, he knew why. It's the great spiritual battle. The battle between light and dark. The battle between good and evil. The battle between life and death. And so Paul sees the reason for his suffering, and yet he knows the one in whom he is trusted. And his eyes are not cast down upon his temporal, physical circumstances so that he's driven to have no hope. No, his eyes are lifted high, the eyes of his heart, so he sees his Savior, even from that prison cell, the King of kings, the one who triumphed over sin and death and hell, surely will deliver Paul. He guarded him every second of his life. And he knew for certain that even on that day when Nero would call forth for the head of Paul, Jesus certainly would shepherd Paul to himself in paradise. I know whom I have believed. Well, you see our refuge in our high tower, our fortress is Christ And that's what makes our faith so precious to us. 
the gift of faith, which attaches us to the gift of gifts, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory, the life that we know in salvation. Knowing Christ is knowing the one who saves us and justifies us and sanctifies us, knowing the one who guards us all the way to the very end. So I ask, brothers and sisters, what or who have you put your trust in? Who do you serve? What do you serve? That which you truly love, you will serve and suffer for. Is it Christ? Is it the gospel? Then hallelujah, he's able to hold you fast. So Paul finally says to Timothy, be reminded of your calling and my calling. Timothy, be reminded of the call to guard the gospel and the gospel deposit. That's what Paul shows Timothy here in verses 12 to 14. Paul was convinced that the Lord was able to keep him and to guard his life. The Lord Jesus protects his sheep continually. He's the king. He's the savior. He's the one who calls and saves and sanctifies by the power of his spirit. He watches over his people. As the psalmist says, he who watches over you, he neither sleeps nor slumbers. He who watches over you, he will not let your foot be moved. And Jesus in the the good shepherd discourse in John chapter 10, he says, my father who has given me my sheep, he's greater than all. No one can snatch my sheep out of my father's hands. You see, those who are foreknown and foreloved before the foundation of the world and saved in time and space in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're sealed unto that great day of days in Christ Jesus. So he protects his lambs. So we must feed the faith. We must fan into flames the spirit that's been given to us through the means of God's grace, as we hear His Word read and preached and sung and prayed, and as we enjoy the the sacraments, we're confronted with the glory of this gospel. And as we do this, we're holding fast to the only standard, the only true authority. And that's why Paul instructs Timothy here to hold to the only standard, the only authority. And that's the question that we have to ask everyone as we have that opportunity leaning into the relationships in our lives, by what standard do you live your life? By what standard, what authority are you living your life? Are you living according to the standard of, well, your own making? You're the arbiter of truth and justice and law and living? Or is it a collective of fallen Human beings that you put your trust in, they're the ones, they have the standard, they have the authority. Is it, is it the Constitution? Is it human courts? Or is it just sheer human temporal power like an army and a dictator? Well, none of those are the true standard. And Paul, as every true child of God knows because of the illumination of the Holy Spirit, that there is only one true standard. There is only one true authority, and that's the Word delivered. The Word of God. It tells us who God is and what He is and what He does for us, and it tells us who we are and what we are and what's the way of salvation, what is righteousness, what is sin. 
This is the word of God that must direct us and shape our lives as we seek to be conformed all the more by the power of the Spirit as we read it and study it and memorize it and fill our hearts and our minds with it. This is the standard proclaimed. This is what the church has been given to bear witness from one generation to the next, first to our covenant children, the church of tomorrow that that is even today, and then to the world as we bear witness to this standard. This is what we confess from generation to generation, holding to the Word of God and the truth and the history of salvation delivered by the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus, the cornerstone the King, the Savior, the faith once delivered to the church for the world. This is the only standard. So how do we guard the deposit? Well, we're doing it right now. As we're gathered in holy worship, as we're hearing and speaking the words of life, as we are praying and praising, and as we come to the table, we're we're nourished as we eat and drink. We guard the deposit, the deposit of Christ in you, the hope of glory, the gospel message, the presence of Jesus in your heart. Is that your most precious deposit? Or is it a deposit somewhere in some bank where there's some money? Is that your most important deposit? Well, you know, money is just dirt. It's going to be burned up in the end. But if, if the deposit, the most in, important deposit in your life is in your heart, it's Christ the Lord, then hallelujah, you have the true treasure that stands forever and ever and ever. So that each and every day as you come to yet another fork in the road, as you're standing before another human being created in the image of God, you're confronted with an opportunity and a decision. Will I be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel and to hide my witness? Or will I call upon the name of the Lord and share Christ? To share the gospel message, to bear witness with my mouth and with my life. Have you been saved by the Savior? Then you will be empowered to suffer and serve for Him in this world to the praise of His glorious grace. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord Almighty, we thank You so much for the Gospel, for our Savior. We are not worthy of salvation. We are not worthy of eternal life. And yet You have poured it out upon us through Jesus We pray now, O Lord, that You would feed us afresh. Lead us to Your supper. May You be glorified as You do that wonderful work within us, we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen.